Welcome to CEO On The Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm your host, Gail Lance, and together we'll be exploring the people side of leadership. You'll learn how to better engage and inspire those around you and yourself. So let's get started. Welcome to this special episode of CEO on the Go. A couple of weeks ago, I recorded an episode on imposter syndrome called How to Get Rid of Imposter Syndrome. It seems to be one of my more popular episodes, so in case you missed it, you might want to check that one out. In it, I explained that imposter syndrome is common with high-achieving types, especially when they're taking on a new role. So today I thought we could explore the topic of stepping into a new leadership role and specifically the CEO role. We'll cover some of the critical mistakes to avoid even if you're not in a CEO role. I think you'll find the insights today to be relevant if you're in any kind of leadership role. My guest today is Bill Miller, and I recently met Bill through a program for authors that he and I are involved in. When I learned the title of his book, I knew we would have interesting conversation. His book is called The Rookie CEO, You Can't Make This Stuff Up, and he's captured some critical mistakes that CEOs make based on his own experience observing nine rookie CEOs. It's, it's kind of a behind-the-scenes look based on his own experience over the past 30 years, serving in a variety of executive roles in companies of all sizes, from early-stage startups to multi-billion-dollar multinational companies. Today, Bill serves as an executive advisor, consultant, speaker, and coach. And even if you're not a rookie CEO, you still might be making some rookie mistakes and not even know it. So you're smart to listen in. I think you'll find some great takeaways today. So enjoy my conversation with Bill Miller. Bill, I'm so glad that we have some time together today to talk about the rookie CEO and some of the, the mistakes that you've seen, some of the observations that you've had. I know that we were joking that I should probably write the book on the rookie podcaster since I'm still learning, but I'm really glad that you're here today and would just love to hear your thoughts and, and get a sense of why you even wrote this book in the first place. What was your motivation for that? Hey, well, thanks for having me, Gail. appreciate the time and the spot. So about 20 plus years ago, I decided that after working for these CEOs, they do such crazy things, but they have so much power that it would be worthwhile to take notes and maybe write a book. So I actually decided to write this thing over 20 years ago, and it was a sequence of events when I was in a very, very large $40 billion company, and they brought in a woman CEO for, for the division, for a large U.S. division. And it was the first time they had ever done that. And as I watched the transition and started to take notes, I couldn't believe what I was seeing because these are very smart people. Most CEOs, are, they're type A's. They're very smart. They've moved up in their careers. And, uh, and I started over the next few years, just take notes every meeting, every offsite meeting, uh, strategy meetings, and observing. And of course, I'm part of the senior management team. So I had a very firsthand view and participation in everything. So it was really kind of fun to watch what was going on and try to learn from it. And I watched some incredible mistakes that they don't even realize their mistakes until it's too late. 
Right. And I guess I should say too, we're not sharing names today, right? <laughs> right. So even in the book, the book uses uh, fictitious names, even though the, the company names are hidden, the people's names are hidden. Like, for example, one is the Cyclone, which is the one I was just talking about. There's a deal maker who had a background of sales. There's the builder who is a Silicon Valley guy who built multiple companies and then would hire another CEO to come in. And in this case, that one, the builder was the uh, the deal maker. And, and so they all have different names, but the names somewhat reflect the, the personalities that they brought. And, you know, over those 20, 22 years, I did a lot of market research. My background is product management and marketing. And so I approached everything like a product and a service. So I did competitive analysis and and all the research firms, people, you know, retain search firms and hire CEOs. They have their own analysis of how they hire. There are some books out there that are written by these companies and they sell okay, but it, it tells people what they how they need to act and how they need to speak. And I I thought all of that was just not real. So I came up with a framework that each CEO, because all these nine CEOs that I worked for directly, they had different backgrounds. When you get to know them, you learn a little bit about how they got there. You know, did they think they were going to be be a CEO when they were in, in high school or college or playing sports? And some of them did, and some of them never thought they would be there. So they're born and bred to be, or it just falls in their lap. And all of a sudden, instead of running a function like sales or engineering, they run everything. And it's just not that easy when all of a sudden you don't have a focus anymore. You own it all, but you have no experience in those other areas. So that's some of the stuff that was bizarre. Yeah, I know that uh, you and I had talked about, I guess, that specific sales example, which is typical with a lot of organizations where you're coming up through some kind of functional role. And then all of a sudden thrust into this other bigger role. And so what, what, what are your observations about that? So when you move from a function, which I cover in the book, you move from a business function into a CEO role, you're already comfortable and you know that particular area, the sales area in this particular case that I'm going to talk about. But you don't really think much about what motivates everybody else in the company. And if you didn't if you don't think about it and you don't study and you don't have a coach and you don't really research and you don't talk to a lot of people, you just kind of move forward, which a lot of people do. They just, and you probably see this with some of the clients you have, they just kind of blow forward. And so one error, which is my favorite story in the book, I call it the wheelbarrow story, is when when things started to slip after we had announced the product in the company, a startup company. The product started to slip. And so the the CEO, who was a former VP of sales in his previous life, decided that he wanted to bring, you know, $150,000 or something like that into a meeting with all the engineers and then offer them up all that cash if they would move the data for delivery. And, and all that cash would just be the 12 engineers, theirs to keep. And if they hit a second date, which is a little bit further out, they would get half of that, et cetera. I, I remember saying to him, and we had a discussion about it, was that's not what motivates engineering. Engineers want to solve problems and do complex, fun things. They don't 
And that was that was one thing. That was the first thing. And the second thing was all these engineers in Silicon Valley are already rich. They don't care about $150,000. It's jump change to them. You know what I mean? So it was interesting. And so the mistake was, number one, having the idea is not a mistake. You got to have ideas all the time. Moving forward to the to the two founders was a serious mistake because the first thing they said was, you don't trust us. The second thing was, you don't believe us. And that was really the beginning of his downfall. It took another year before he was out, but that was the beginning. Once the trust is lost between the CEO and the people, it goes downhill. And I'm sure you've seen this. One of the biggest things that a rookie CEO has to think about is trust of the people. They need to understand, they need to earn that trust and, uh, and always have integrity and trust, which is a given. And, uh, and they need to understand the power they have, because as soon as they say something, people, people will jump. Yeah, I see that a lot with people saying something kind of off the cuff, or um, not aware of, of the impact that they that they really have on something that might seem very insignificant to them, but it can shake the whole organization or department or whoever you're leading. Just the power of words or the language that they use, or even the tone sometimes if they come in and they are um, showing that they're frustrated or showing that they're uptight about something, then that is a ripple effect. People wonder, well, what's going on today? And then rumors start and they start trying to, to understand what is it that's creating that? And then they start thinking, I think he's mad at us or she's mad at us. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it's important to be aware of, of yourself for sure and the words that you use. So another a technique that some rookies will use. And of course, I learned this myself in the past, but um, a CEO, because if they know how powerful their words are, can start a rumor to test an idea. Uh, interesting. And also can start rumors or, or test the people to see who's the conduit to the rest of the team by giving a tidbit to each person on the management team and seeing what comes back. Yes. So that's how that's one way that you can test a management team. I learned to do that many, many years ago when I was just a manager level guy and I had a half a dozen people working for me and I could test to see who who's my rumor person and who are the people I can truly trust that are not going to repeat anything. And and to see that at the CEO level, the whole company is impacted by anything that a CEO says. So you can test an idea and today in the world actually Companies use social media to do this. You know, some of the big consumer brands will put out a tweet on Twitter and test an idea to see because the public weighs in so fast. They can get it instead of putting out a you get immediate response. Yeah. Yeah, it's a focus group, really. Absolutely. <laughs> Very interesting. I was gonna see if you wanted to speak to the framework that you created. I think it's always interesting to hear uh different people, experts talking about how they view leadership and you've come up with a model that is worth sharing. So why don't you speak to that to the extent that you can to just give a high level view and um, why those elements are important? Absolutely. So as I started to say earlier about the each each of these rookies came from a different background and as they worked their way up, up, up the corporation ladder, they all ran a different function and they had different perspectives. And so I came up with a, an acronym, PPLC, which is the path that they took to get to CEO. The second P is the philosophy that they bring to the party because every individual has their own philosophies. How are philosophies created? They're created by how you were brought up, 
the positions that you've had, your family, all kinds of things. And then you have these philosophies, like are you open, are you close? You know, do you like to share information? Do you like to be secretive? Those kinds of things. Well, and I was going to add a lot of those philosophies are not articulated. It's something that you've been operating from, but you're not used to sharing or maybe not even understanding fully yourself. That's a good point. Yes. And and so there's the first P, the path in the, in the philosophy, and then there's the leadership style. Everybody has their own leadership style. How do you run meetings? What's your dress code? You know, all the things of how you lead is going to help really create the environment that you work in. And then when you take the PPO, those things drive what the culture of the company is going to be. And there are a couple of key elements about a culture. I'm a big culture guy where the culture of a company can drive its success. If the rookie CEO, when they first come on board, whether it's a startup and it's brand new, or they inherit something, sometimes they're hired because the investors or the board want to change the culture. So what happens is the CEO either drives the culture that they want, and it's going to be based on their backgrounds and their philosophies and their leadership style. And if they do nothing, which I have also seen, what emerges is really how this person leads. It's a reflection of that. Yes. It, it emerges. A, a culture is going to be there whether you want it to be or not. And if you go six months down the road and you haven't paid any attention, you may not like the results of that culture. Yes, I totally agree. And with the importance of, of culture, that's, that's a lot of the work that I do is helping CEOs and senior executives that do want to transform their culture. So I couldn't agree more. What do you think would be a good starting point for a CEO who perhaps has not focused as much on culture as they would like? What, what, what would be a first step or two that they might want to think about? So that's a great question. One of the first things that I think if you inherit, a, uh, if you inherit the company, as a newly hired CEO, then you want to take your management team and put together a cross-functional team and survey your own employees. doesn't matter whether you have 10 employees or 10,000 employees. You just survey the people and you ask some, and I have some examples in the book about how to do this, but you ask some pretty basic questions like, who do you think we are as a company? Are we helpful? Do we help our customers? Do we support our customers? You, you start to ask, what do we deliver to our customers? It's all about, you know, do we help each other as an organization? And there's about 20 questions that you can ask. I think 20 questions is the big number. You know, there's a game, you know, that you ask 20 questions. Yes, to get, yes. You know, and, and I've always played, when I was running marketing and product management, 20 questions with engineering. If they don't want to tell you anything, it's about 20 questions. So the, the culture is the same thing. I use 20 questions. And that's what the new CEO can do. He doesn't have to know anything. He doesn't have to listen to anything. He can obviously, if it's a public company or a larger company, can read something on Glassdoor about the culture because there's all kinds of things on Glassdoor. But to really determine under the hood by talking directly to the employees, always get employees that will share. And I've done this a couple of times at companies, helping the CEO with a culture survey. You make it anonymous. If people want to share their name, they can, but you make it anonymous, and it is possible to make it completely anonymous, even though people don't believe that employee surveys could be that way. I was going to say, there's still some distrust there usually in, in projects there I've is, worked on. Yes. But it's not an employee survey about 
your boss and it's about the culture, purely culture. And you can get enough information there. And then the cross-functional team from all the different areas will help to build a culture code for the company. That's the way I would prefer to go, go it. And that's how I recommend people do it. And uh, I've built a couple with a cross-functional team in the past. It, it really works pretty well because it helps with employee engagement, which is something that I know over the past year has been very difficult with a lot of people working remote. It's hard to get engagement. But it's but I, I do think that it's a way for a new CEO to really understand what is what are he or she inheriting. Yes. Yeah. And I just wanted to say it can seem like it's overwhelming, you know, like you're trying to turn a whole ship around or do something that's um, that's so big. But it really, to your point, you can ask some basic questions and start in a very simple manner that over time can be extremely effective when you're intentional about how you're doing this. So it doesn't need to, to, to be overwhelming for anyone listening. You can really start with some simple steps. Right. And you're not asking questions about your people's bosses. You're not asking about, is, does your boss treat you well? You know, Right. All the sensitive issues that can come up. <laughs> you, avoid, you avoid those. Yes. You may get comments about them, which is good, from the people who remain anonymous. So actually, the last time I did one of these, a few years ago, there were two people in the company that chose not to remain anonymous. They literally sent the email to me with their name and said, use my name. And they were the most critical. They were absolutely the loudest, most critical, and they complained about everything to be complained about. But it was very valuable because when you put that together with all the anonymous answers, there was some really solid information there. It was great. So that works pretty well. Why don't you share one of the other stories from your book that you think would be helpful for people to, to reflect on? I know you have many to share. So what, what would be another one that you think might be of interest? Right. So for the for the listeners, one of the things about the book that's interesting is I really do all the education through stories. So the fastest way to lose respect is one of my favorites. Um, the wheelbarrow being my favorite because <laughs> it was interesting. Yes. In real time, the one CEO came in, and I used to run this group that was strategic planning at one point in time, and so I had the process the company process, the product development and product launch process. And so this person came from another company, large company, gave me a CD and said, I want you to go in here and do a complete find replace of that company's name, proprietary and confidential, to our company's name, proprietary and confidential. Just take their name out, put our name in, and that's our new process. And I I, I just I just looked at them and I said, you got to be kidding me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it says proprietary and confidential. Why would you do that? And she said, no, I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. Oh, that's <laughs> but, your job. Yes. But that's the first, immediately, there was no respect with that CEO and me anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that the subtitle of your book is You Can't Make This Stuff Up. So It's very true. <laughs> yeah, it, it is so easy for people who are newer in their roles to... to come to a knee-jerk conclusion about something that they should do and um, not think it through as well. You know, I told you that I wanted to come up with some of what I, I see as rookie CEO mistakes and compare it to what you've experienced. 
So I was just going to share a, a couple on my list. And one is just trying to do too much yourself at the top, not delegating quickly enough. And I think one of the, the opportunities that new CEOs have is to try to quickly figure out what is it that I'm really good at where I need to spend the highest value activities? How do I spend my time on the highest value activities and quickly hand off to other people or resources what I know that I don't need to be involved with? So that was one of mine. I don't know how that compares to to yours. Well, that's a, that's a good one. There's a couple of examples in my book about focus and trying to do too much. One of the biggest flaws that all nine of these rookies had was they don't know how to say no. Everything is a yes. Now, I know that just recently I read an article on LinkedIn that Kat Cole had written about how to say no without saying no. And that is that there's a knack to doing that. But these CEOs, many of them, of these nine, I'd say eight of the nine, never said no. They could do everything. And the problem is, I don't care if you're in a big company or a small company, you're always resource limited because you're trying to do a lot and you have a lot of revenues to try to grow. And the problem is, if you don't say no, then you're just too thin and you can't get anything done. Jack of all trades, master of none. And so that does become a serious problem of trying to take on too much. And a lot of rookie CEOs are afraid to delegate. So they end up doing it themselves because they think it's faster. The problem is it's not. On one or two cases, that might be, but it's typically not, especially in the areas that you're not an expert in. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, another observation that I see often is the I guess the, the lack of understanding about how to engage other people and understanding what drives the people side of the business. That's a lot of the area in which I'm helping support leaders. They're so focused on business and trying to have the business plan put together and the strategy and um, processes, but to really fuel the business, they need to have a clear understanding of not just other people, but themselves. Uh, so many are struggling to understand how they're perceived and there, there are lots of uh, creative ways that, that can help CEOs gain that perspective that's so helpful to see how, how they're viewed by others and also understanding how others tick so that they can be more effective helping others perform at their best. So have you seen some of that too, where there's just complete lack of awareness or uh, inability to understand other people? Yeah. First of all, you have to make sure you have the right people. So if you're new and you're hiring in a startup, every hire is critical. And if you're if you inherit a team, you have to find out who, who are the keepers and who are the not. And when you find out the people that are not the right people for what you're trying to accomplish, I hate to say this, but you have to either move them into another role that's more suitable for them to get to the end goal, or you have to fire them. And it, no one likes to do that. And uh, as a consultant in, in my past, I've been the hatchet man because I had no baggage, no connection to any of these people. And I came in, made the assessments, worked with the CEO, and we I ended up moving some people that I thought, you know, that the CEO actually wanted to fire because they were actually very good. They just were in the wrong role. You have to match the, the right roles. But there are people who are poison to your company. Yeah. And the, the more quickly you can address it too, um, 
I'm I'm always amazed by some of the conversations I'm having month after month or quarter after quarter talking about the same problem person in the organization. I think it is hard and it's not just for rookie CEOs for for almost any any leader even with experience, but I I'm amazed at the tolerance that they have sometimes to retain someone or allow them to be in that role when it's really either disruptive to the organization or uh, detrimental in some other ways. But it is hard to, to say this just may not be the right fit, but it's, it's really important to be able to, to make that call and do it more quickly. And it really, time is of the essence because if you're newly hired, the board is watching you. Not only is the board watching you, board of directors, every employee, your management team, that's why every word you say, every action you do, and one of my favorite terms, behavior matters, really have to pay attention. Um, here's an example of a story. One of the CEOs, um, he wanted me to fire somebody who dropped her kids off and she would come in five minutes late. And sometimes she would leave 10 minutes early to pick them up at daycare. And I said, but she does good work during the day. Why would I do that? And then you'd see he would come in at 10.30 in the morning with a gym bag, and he still needed to take a shower. And some days he would leave at four. So I said, people watch you. If we took action against her, who's going to take action against you? Yeah. Got to model what you want, right? Because you're the one that's, number one, I didn't fire her. If, if there's a performance issue, that's different. This was just about time. And, and professionals, some professionals do the work in 80 hours and some do it in 40 hours or even 30 hours. But in this guy's case, he wanted me to take an action of something that he didn't even do. But your behavior is watched by everybody and every word, people hang on every word that they hear. Yeah. And I would hope that, you know, that example that you shared wouldn't be as common now, especially during the pandemic, my hope is that leaders see that it is so much more about productivity, not necessarily about hours worked, because people have had to be productive, working all kinds of hours or, or working differently. So it is about looking at the overall performance that matters. But see, some so remote employees have always been remote employees of some kind. Typically, sales is not in the home office. There might be somebody in the home office, but the VP of sales and some of the regional directors are in the field. And so there's always a CEO question about are these people working? So they, when you bring that, it's one thing about a VP of sales or regional sales because you can measure if they're working by their revenue numbers and, and bringing in new clients and keeping existing clients. But in the case of other employees, you may not have the same metrics in which you can track. So if you start to question non-senior level people, are you doing the work? You, the CEO is going to drive themselves crazy. You just have to, you have to use some sort of a OKR system or KPI system or smart goals. And it doesn't matter as long as they're in the meetings that they're supposed to be in and they do the things that are on their scorecard that they're accountable for. What do you care if they're in front of their computer and on Zoom or not? Right. Well, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, the importance of developing trust. And so one of the keys to doing that is to to demonstrate that you trust employees to do the work. Um, and we've had other, another podcast, a really great podcast on developing trust, 
to, so we've gone into more depth on that topic in a previous episode, but yeah, so much to think about and learn as you're uh, ramping up in your new CEO role. I'm just curious to know as, as we wrap up, if there's any final tip or insight that you would share to, to get people thinking, this is really important. What do you want to emphasize based on what we've talked about today? Okay, well, that's a good one. I'd I say, re- repeat, the, the power of your words, the power of your behavior is second to none. And you have to be very self-aware to understand that. You can use it to your benefit, or you can really lose good people if you don't. So that's a couple of things. Um, I, have, I have one mantra about never answer a question that's not asked. <laughs> I end the book with, with that one, plus you can't make this stuff up, right? Because it's really <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you've seen that. But the fact is that if you're in a meeting, management team meeting or an all hands meeting, and somebody asks a question, if it's meant for somebody else in the room, let them answer it. You don't have to show how smart you are. You really don't. You're already the CEO. But don't answer the question that is not asked. In other words, if everything is done and quiet and the deal's closed with the people, right? You've covered the topics. There's no more questions. Don't make one up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and unspoken, and that is not necessarily having the pressure to have to prove yourself, you know, not falling to that pressure to think you have to prove yourself. Just do the work and the rest will follow. Lead well, and you'll get the results that you need. You got to lead, not manage when you're a CEO. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a distinction. Like you said about this, the strategy, your job is to set the strategy in direction and have the right people that you trust and that trust you under you to execute because execution is where you win or lose. So you can have the, the best strategy in the world. If it's not executed underneath, it's not going to work. And the company could go under. The thing is when you're a CEO, if you make the wrong decision, it can cost the company uh, to even be in existence. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always like to focus on the upside. Leading well will help you be astronomically successful. So I like that one. Yeah, to keep <laughs> focusing on what you want to do and, and learning through through this podcast and other means. So I'm so glad that we could spend a few minutes just chatting about this topic because it's one that I hadn't really covered before. And I just thought it would be interesting to people listening in um, because a lot of the rookie mistakes are even made by the most experienced CEOs. And so, you know, there's there's always learning to be had. So I think you've captured it well in your ebook and th- those lessons learned and the stories that you've shared. So tell people how they can find what you've written. Right now it's on Amazon. Uh, it's called The Rookie CEO. You can't make this stuff up. It's available in ebook. You can get a paperback or you can get a hardcover. It's a short read. Uh, you know, I designed the book to be read on like a cross-country flight or something. Yeah. When we back in the day when we could fly, yes. Yeah, well. Or we're beginning to now there. Yeah, yeah. Who knew, right? It's an easy read. Good. Well, again, thank you so much for for spending a few minutes today talking about this topic. I do think it will be helpful for people who are looking for ways to improve their leadership and uh, encourage them to check it out. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah. And for everyone else listening today, I hope you have a good rest of the week doing the work that matters to you. I'll speak with you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit workmatters.com. And if you have a question or a suggestion for a future topic for the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. 
So keep growing as a leader and doing the work that matters to you. Until next time. Thank you.